This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the Anointed One, Christos, the Anointed One. If you say Jesus the Messiah, you're saying Jesus the Anointed One, Mashiach. Both those words mean the same, and he's saying to us, he is the long-anticipated Messiah, the one that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied about. He is the Anointed One. He was anointed with the oil of joy. In verse 10, he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth, there he is as creator again, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Do you ever forget how great Jesus is? If you're anything like me, sometimes the day-to-day priorities squeeze out the awareness of His greatness. Today's message is a good reminder of who Jesus is and everything He accomplished in His time on earth. As Pastor Gary works his way through the book of Hebrews, he will be showing us how much greater Jesus is. If you get caught up in the business of life and forget who Jesus is and everything that He has done, This is the message for you. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. He defines the greatness and, and the superiority of Jesus in eight different ways. And the first way that we see here, uh, right in verse 2, as, as we just already read it, is, is that Jesus is creator. So he's going he's gonna to now make the case for why Jesus is greater than the prophets and why Jesus is greater than the angels, just in chapter 1. And he starts with telling us, of course, that, that he is the creator. Because again, in verse 2, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Okay, now, for those who don't understand, there's one God, but He reveals Himself in three persons, and we see it throughout Scripture. So there's God the Father, there's God the Son, that's Jesus, and there's God the Holy Spirit. One God reveals Himself in three different forms or persons. And it's not a, he doesn't have a split personality. Every part of the Godhead, every part of the Trinity is co-equal, co-eternal, and has coexisted eternally with God and is God. But What the Bible tells us is, is that the second person of that Godhead, Jesus, was entrusted with and was the one responsible for creation of the universe. That Jesus, in fact, is the one who made the universe. That's what the writer of Hebrews says there in verse 2. And by the way, this is what Paul says in Colossians 1 verses, uh, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read to you, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, which says that he, that is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God and firstborn over all creation. For by him, that is by Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in Him 
all things hold together. By the way, keep that phrase in, in mind too, because the writer of Hebrews is going to mention that as well. But, but Jesus is creator, that part of the Godhead entrusted with the wonderful privilege of creating everything. Jesus is creator. So that's why he's a little bit more superior than the prophets, because he's not just the word of God revealed, he is also creator. And in verse 3, go on with me now, Hebrews 1, 3, the Son, that's Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And so now what we read here is that Jesus is also divine, because when it mentions that the Son is the radiance of God's glory, Though the New Testament is written in Greek, the Jewish equivalent of God's glory is Shekinah. And Shekinah literally translates the divine presence. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus is actually divine. He's the divine presence of God. He is the radiance of God's glory. He shines forth the glory of God, and he is the exact representation of his being. Now, interesting word in the Greek here, the exact representation is one word in the Greek, and it's character. And it is spelled the same way as our English word character, except in the Greek, it uses a K instead of a C before the T-E-R. Character in Greek, our English version now is character. It tells us something, doesn't it? Because Jesus is the radius of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Your character, my character is the real you. And the character, the character, is revealed of God, the real presence of who God is, through Jesus, the Son. That's the stamp or impress, the exact representation, meaning the the stamp or the the impress of an image upon another object. It, It is, for example, you know, try to think of it like this. If you're, if you're walking barefoot on the beach, the imprint that your feet make in the sand, that impression is the exact representation of your foot. And so in a similar way, that's how that word is used here, that Jesus is that exact representation of the Father. He becomes the visible manifestation of the divine presence of God. And so he's creator, he is divine, and also in verse And then it talks about at the end of verse 2 there, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. Now, that's also what, again, what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, verse 17, where he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, it's interesting, scientists are a little stumped. The, The nucleus of an atom contains protons and neutrons. Now, neutrons have no charge, but protons have a positive charge. And if you've ever done a little classroom experiment or a little thing at home with magnets, you know that two positive charged magnets repel. And why is it that an atom does not naturally fall apart? Why is it that it is held together? Because the nucleus of an atom has positively charged protons and neutral neutrons, and scientists can't explain why is it that the nucleus of an atom is held together? So they come up with this term, you've heard it, atomic glue. It's atomic glue. 
We don't know what to call it, so we're just going to call it atomic glue. Hey, I have a new name for it. It's Jesus. That's what it is. Jesus is even holding the atomic matter of the earth together because he is the one who sustains all things, and he is the one who holds all things together by his powerful word. Now, one day, it's all going to explode. He's going to say, okay, enough is enough. You know, scientists have it a little backwards. The Big Bang is at the end, not at the beginning. And it's all going to explode. There's a new heaven and a new earth. That's for another Bible study. But after he provided purifications for sins, look at verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So that whole phrase there about he provided purification for sins means that he's our redeemer. That's how he's superior. He's our redeemer. He's the one that paid the ransom for us by his blood on a cross provided for us purification for our sins. He he redeemed us. He's our redeemer. And then he sat down, notice that, at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, because the work of Christ was complete in the sense of his redemption for mankind. And so the posture of sitting down shows that his work is finished and it's complete. And so he sits down at the right hand of the Father, where he presently is seated and he's coming again. But right now he's at the right hand of the Father, the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And so verse four, he became as much superior to the angels. Now he moves on here to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. So number four on our list through chapter one, Jesus is superior to angels. This is an important point, by the way, because there have been historically uh, many references, even, even biblical corrections, to people who get engaged in the worship of angels. And angels are not to be worshipped. He's going to tell us later on in verse 14 of this first chapter that they are ministering spirits. So angels are sent as ministering spirits. They minister to God. They minister to us. Okay, we can't see them They're in, unless they perchance reveal themselves to people. Otherwise, they are invisible. And yet, as much as the Bible speaks about angels, more than 300 references in the Bible, they are not to be worshipped, and they are not equal at all with Jesus. They are created beings, but angels are inferior to Jesus. And this is not important simply to understand historically, but also biblically, because there are two main religious groups that believe that Jesus is not only equal to angels, but also could be one. Okay, so case in point, Mormonism. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Mormonism, teaches that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer. Now, Lucifer was a created angel, And Lucifer then rebelled against God. And when he rebelled against God and he was expelled from heaven, the Bible says he he took as many as a third of the stars with him. Those are also a reference to angels. So about a third, however many that numbers, we don't know. He took a third in this rebellion against God of these angels with him when he was in heaven, was expelled from heaven, took a third of the angels, those fallen angels now known as demons, Lucifer now known better as Satan or the devil, okay? And, And yet... Mormonism teaches that Jesus is on par with Lucifer as a spirit brother of an angel, okay? And he's not. Now, this taken right out of, you can Google this yourself. You can go to lds.org, stands for Latter-day Saints.org. They have an article on their website that I just 
two hours ago, pulled right off their website. It's entitled, How Can Jesus and Lucifer Be Spirit Brothers When Their Characters and Purposes Are So Utterly Opposed? Okay, so the headline of the article is that they're spirit brothers. Uh, the, the author of the article is uh, Jess Christensen, Institute of Religion Director at Utah State University in Logan, Utah. And just, I'll just read the first couple of sentences of his article. It says, on fir- quote, on first hearing the doctrine that Lucifer and our Lord Jesus Christ are brothers may seem surprising to some, especially to those unacquainted with latter-day revelations. Both Jesus and Lucifer were strong leaders with great knowledge and influence, but as the firstborn of the Father, Jesus was Lucifer's older brother, end quote. Okay, that's right off their website, right off of the first few sentences of this article. Yeah, and, and as I was reading it, like, you know, for those, it might be surprising. Yeah, uh, especially those unacquainted with Latter-day Revelations. Yeah, because those things are not compatible with what Scripture teaches. The, the Bible tells us clearly, and it's like, okay, we need to reread here Hebrews 1.4. Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Jesus, Yahashua, the Lord is salvation. He is not an angel. He's not equal to angels. He is superior to angels. So that's a false doctrine of the Mormon church, along with many other false doctrines of the Mormon church. And then the other religious group that also teaches that Jesus is on par with angels is Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is none other than the archangel Michael. Two hours ago, I went to Jehovah's Witnesses' website. You can go to jw.org, pulled up an article entitled, Is Jesus the Archangel Michael? And people, well, yes, thank you. The answer is no. <laughs> Let me give the punchline, all right? <laughs> but it was, it was kind of this like write-in, people could write in. And so somebody wrote in, Is Jesus the Archangel Michael? And then the rest of the article, I'll just read the first couple of sentences. Quote, put simply, the answer is Yes. So Michael the archangel is, and then the the end of the article said, quote, so Michael the archangel is Jesus in his pre-human existence. After his resurrection and return to heaven, Jesus resumed his service as Michael, the chief angel, end quote. These are false doctrines. These are not true. The Bible paints a very different picture of who Jesus is. With all due respect, because, you know, at any given time, there, there can be someone who is Mormon or Jehovah's Witness visiting us. And if you are, I'm glad that you're here. But with all kindness and respect, you, you need to know that what you believe in terms of Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. That if you think Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, or if you think that Jesus is the archangel Michael, you have believed a false doctrine. The Bible teaches that Jesus is infinitely superior to any angel, and it's clear right here in Hebrews 1.4, among other passages of the Bible. And so this is why Jesus is greater than, more superior than, because he is not a created being as an angel. He is superior to angels, just as his name that he has inherited is superior to to theirs. If you keep reading with me here in Hebrews 1, verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say? Now, you're going to notice that the rest of this chapter is quoting God. 
And the writer of Hebrews is going to quote Old Testament scripture, seven different passages. Because the writer of Hebrews, again, is establishing the fact that Jesus is greater, superior than anything else. And he's going to use the Old Testament scriptures as to make his case. And so particularly if you're a Jewish believer, this is going to make more sense to you because you're relying on your own Jewish scriptures to to come to, to the realization of what the writer is, is saying here. So he's going to begin to quote here from various passages of the Old Testament. A lot of your Bibles might have footnotes to show you all the different verses that he's quoting. But he starts here in verse 5 by saying, For to which of the, of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Now, that happens to be Psalm 2, verse 7. And, and so what he's saying here is, you know, God never turned to an angel and said, you're my son, and no angel ever called God Father, because they are distinctly separate beings. And now this is where sometimes Jehovah's Witnesses will push back and they'll say, well, now see, uh, Jesus was created uh, because it says, today I've become your father. And the Greek word there to become is ganeo, and if you have a King James Bible, it just uses a single word, begotten. And begotten, or gneo in the original Greek, means equality of substance or nature. So it's not saying that God, you know, made him as a separate being because Jesus is God. But what he's saying here is that he's the begotten son in the sense that he's completely equal in substance and nature. But he is, verse 5, God's only son. God's only son. Or again, keep reading verse 5, or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. So God never said that to any angel because the son has a position of greater prominence and superiority than any other created being. Verse 6, and again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, now firstborn means someone of highest position and honor, Again, it, it doesn't mean he's a, that Jesus is a created being. It, it's a title. It's a title. In fact, the ancient rabbis called Yahweh, called God himself, the firstborn of the world. So it is, it's a Jewish title, but it doesn't mean that Jesus was created. It just means he's, he's someone of the highest position and honor. And so again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. All right? If, if you are the object of worship, it means you are superior than the ones worshiping you. So again, he's making the case here that Jesus is superior to angels because quoting from Scripture, quoting from Scripture, this time he's, he's quoting from Deuteronomy 32, that the angels worship Jesus. So Jesus is superior because that's why he's being worshiped. Verse 7, and speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds his servants, flames of fire. Talking again, his being possessive of Jesus. These these angels are servants of Jesus. Jesus isn't serving them. Jesus isn't equal to them. He's greater than. They serve him. Verse 8, but about the Son, he says, God says, your throne, O God, underline that, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. This is what you call classically in, in Scripture interpretation a proof text. Because where it says there in verse, verse 8, but about the Son, about Jesus, He, God says, your throne, O God. Notice, the Son is referred to as God right there. Right there in verse 8. And so that's next on our list. That Jesus is God. 
about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Okay, Jesus is God manifest. Jesus is God in flesh. Jesus is God. Verse 9, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you, underline the word anointing you, with the oil of joy. Number seven on our list is from verse nine, and he uses the word anointing there because Jesus is the anointed one. Now, that just simply means Messiah. The word Christ is from the Greek Christos. The word Messiah is from the Hebrew Mashiach. And both mean the same thing, anointed one. So when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus the anointed one, Christos, the anointed one. If you say Jesus the Messiah, you're saying Jesus the anointed one, Mashiach. Both those words mean the same. And he's saying to us, he is the long-anticipated Messiah, the one that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied about. He is the anointed one. He was anointed with the oil of joy. In verse 10, he also says, in the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth. There he is, his creator again. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Okay, again. Speaking about the, the earth, eventually this, this whole earth will completely be burned up. There's a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to eventually wear out like a garment. In verse 12, you will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same. You remain the same, he says, and your years will never end. It's the last one on our list here from verses 10 through 12, that Jesus is eternal. Your years will never end, he says here. In Hebrews 13, verse 8, it tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Luke 1, 33, it says, And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end, and his kingdom will never end because he is eternal. And then he adds in verse 13, to which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So he's still making the same case. Jesus is greater than all these angels. God never said that to any of the angels. In verse 14, he adds, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? By the way, he he will mention the word angels 14 times throughout the book of Hebrews, 12 of those times are here in the first two chapters. So he he speaks here about angels, and he ends chapter 1 talking about how they are ministering spirits, and and he's going to talk about entertaining angels unaware in chapter 13. So eventually I will once again tell the only one angel story that I have that many of you have already heard, but I'll tell that again when we get to it. But this is the way he ends chapter 1, again on this note, that Jesus is superior to the prophets, Jesus is superior to the angels, and he's going to go on making his case uh, throughout the uh, rest of the book of Hebrews. But these are the reasons why Jesus is superior. He's creator, he's divine, he's redeemer, he's superior to angels, he's God's only son, he's God himself, he's the anointed one, and he is eternal. Cornerstone
The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out his life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know